This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, we're going to continue our sermon series through the book of Nehemiah. I guess something happened with the slides, so you'll just have to concentrate and listen to the words. It won't be up on the, the screens uh, during the during the sermon today. So Nehemiah chapter 5, if we remember, we've been talking about how Nehemiah uh, was called by God to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Uh, He faced opposition. We looked at that last week. He overcame that. And now he's going to be tested in his character. And that's what we'll be talking about today in Nehemiah 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying... We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. They were selling, the, they had to, they were selling their children into slavery to pay off this debt. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So there's our three outcries that were brought before Nehemiah. Here's how he responds. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then I accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest? So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles And now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us? They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, and new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out of the folds of my robe and said in my... In, a, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep their promise. So many such a person be shaken out and be emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they promised. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, today we're going to be talking about some challenging things, and, and, and I know this is, is going to also 
upset the devil and all of his wicked schemes because we're going to go into the heart of evil. So I pray, Lord God, that you would protect us from the evil one. I pray that you would give us guidance and, and give us your truth. I pray, Lord God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would see Jesus and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of your work. In your name we pray, amen. It was about seven years ago that I went to a conference that really changed the way I looked at ministry, uh, really changed, I could say, changed my life. It was a conference called Chaplains for Children, and it was run by a, a man named Victor Veith. And Victor Veith is, is an internationally recognized child abuse prosecutor, and he is really internationally recognized on child protection and helping victims. And at this conference, well, and he's a Christian, he was a, a member of a, a local Lutheran church down the road. And so at this conference, he, he told me things that I've never heard before. He told me about the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experience Study, the study that was done that said even in the best neighborhoods, even in the best of neighborhoods, one out of four women have been sexually abused. Even in the best of neighborhoods, one out of six men have been abused. And then the study went on to say that, that so many things that, that we don't characteristically tie to maybe an adverse childhood experience, maybe um, you know, weight gain or mental struggles or bipolar disorder or lung cancer or all these other things that we wouldn't necessarily tie to an adverse childhood experience are more likely in people who've had adverse childhood experiences. And it's changed the way I've, I've done counseling and done preaching. Instead of maybe looking at the symptoms of somebody in maybe a promiscuous relationship or somebody dealing with an addiction to drugs, I start to ask more questions to try to get to the root of maybe some of these symptoms. But that wasn't the only thing I learned at that conference. Something else that I learned was, was the systemic problems inside of the Christian church. He documented case after case of stories that fit this template. There'd be churches that were growing in, in bigger buildings and bigger budgets and more bottoms in the seats, and they were growing in success and influence. And then there would be an outcry, an outcry of abuse. And time and time and time and time after again, the leaders of the church would try to silence the person bringing the outcry. They would say things like, well, if this comes out now, uh, this is going to hurt the mission of the church. This is going to hurt our reputation. It's going to hurt the kingdom of God. And so in a way, the end justifies the means. Let's just keep this quiet. Let's see if we can deal with this in-house. And the victims were re-victimized. And it got me thinking, well, what is the mission of the church anyways? What is the mission of the church? What are we supposed to be doing and better yet, what is Jesus' mission? Because the reality is, Jesus' mission is not always the same mission as an institution, the church. And, and what our job is as a church is to align the church's mission with Jesus' mission. And so let's see what Jesus says is his mission in, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus began preaching, uh, after he was baptized, he gathered a few disciples. He spent some time in the wilderness preparing for his mission. Uh, he went to his own hometown and preached in the synagogue. 
and he took the scroll from Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and he said this, he declared his mission, what he was trying to carry out. He said this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus said what his mission was about, what he was excited about, not was bigger buildings or bigger budgets or more bottoms in the seat. He said, my job is to set people free, to set them free. And, and what he describes here as he's quoting Isaiah, to set people free, not just spiritually from guilt and shame, but set them free physically, set them free emotionally, set them free in every possible way you could be set free to become the people of God, to live for God and worship God, to be the people that God is calling us to become. And so Jesus' mission is to set people free. And it's our job to get as close as an institution to that, job, to that mission as possible. But what does that look like? What does it actually look like for a church to set people free? How do you do that? Well, the good news is the book of Nehemiah in this, uh, in chapter five of Nehemiah, we get an example of how to actually carry out this mission of setting people free. We get a very clear, good example of this. And it's something that, that is so uncharacteristic, as I mentioned before, something that doesn't usually normally happen. So let's dive into God's word and see this example. It's in Nehemiah chapter five. We hear three outcries. There are three outcries. Outcry number one. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and to stay alive, we must get grain. And so it seems like what was happening in this first outcry is many Jews had, had been in Babylon or Persia and they came to, they came to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem to carry out this mission that Nehemiah had, had told them to carry out. Remember this mission of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. But when they did that, um, they didn't have any... Funds. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any land. They were just working in this almost volunteer work. And so they were poor. Then there was a second outcry. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. And so there were some people who did have fields. There were some people who did have land. But even those who had land, there was a famine. And so they were mortgaging their fields to, to get food. So it's the second outcry. So there's, there's poverty, now there's debt. Here's the third outcry. Still others are saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. And although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery 
Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. And so what happened was, is because they mortgaged their fields um, to pay off this debt to get food, when the taxes came due from the Persian nobles, they didn't have any money. And so the Persians came in and took their sons and daughters off into slavery. And don't think just labor slavery. This is also kind of like sex trafficking. They were taking their daughters off into slavery. And so Nehemiah, he gets these outcries. Now remember the context of what's going on. Nehemiah got there in 444 BC and he was called by God to do this incredible vision, this incredible mission to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem and he had, he had done a successful job. I mean, this is just a, a total success. He gathered a group of people and all the families carried out their section of the wall. We heard last week and how they, they faced outward opposition. Tobiah and Sanballat uh, tried to oppress them and stop them, but they overcame and they, they were having this successful mission. They were doing everything successful. Everything was going their way. And now there's this outcry. There's this outcry of, of poverty that no one's dealing with. People are neglecting their brothers and sisters. There is this outcry of debt. And now even their fellow nobles are selling their fellow Jews off into Persian slavery. Now, normally when there's an outcry in a successful ministry or successful business, like I said, normally... The vast majority of the time, those people who bring that outcry are silenced. Don't get in the way of this. Don't get in the way of the success that we're carrying out. Let's not deal with this right now. Maybe we'll deal with it in-house. But Nehemiah does something totally uncharacteristic. Listen to what Nehemiah does. Verse 6. When I heard their outcry... And these charges, I was very angry. He listened. He actually listened to the people who were being oppressed. He actually listened to the people who were in captivity. He actually listened to the people who were, who were, who were making these outcry. That's the first thing that usually never actually happens. It says, I heard their outcry and I was angry. Then it says, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. So, he actually thought about this. He actually empathized with people. He, they, these were poor people who were marginalized and, and, and couldn't do anything to help themselves. And it'd be easy to dismiss them. It wasn't going to, it, it'd be easy to push them off. And yet he didn't. He listened to them. He pondered the accusations. And then he went to the officials, the nobles, and he said, you are charging your own people interest? So he went and he spoke to the leaders, spoke to the people who were in charge. So that's the first thing, he listened, but he didn't stop there. He didn't just stop by listening, he actually took action. He went public with it. It says next, he says, I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So Nehemiah, he, he called this large assembly. He's, he's doing this very important work of, of this successful ministry and mission of rebuilding the walls, but he stopped his mission when he heard the outcry and called an assembly. 
He went public. Lots of times these kinds of things are dealt with in private, but he didn't do that. He didn't try to deal with it in house and just try to, you know, keep it to the side and keep it quiet and deal with it just himself. No, he went public with it. He called an assembly, brought it out in the open, says, we have nothing to hide. This is a real problem and we're going to deal with it out in the open. We're going to deal with it publicly. Again, something that is so uncharacteristic. But now something even more uncharacteristic. Usually when you bring things out in a public, what keeps people from bringing things out in a public is not only is the organization exposed, not only is the church exposed, but the leaders are. And, and the leaders very often don't want to talk about this. They, don't, they want to bring it up because they're going to be exposed for their own sin. And that's what happens here with Nehemiah. But that didn't stop him. It says this in verse 9. So I continued... What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of the Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Nehemiah himself says, I'm part of the problem. And I think that's really, really important. He was willing to let himself be exposed. I'm not better than anyone else. I'm not above this problem. I'm part of the systemic problem also. I'm included. No matter what that means for me, no matter what that means for my leadership, no matter what that means for our mission, I'm going to be honest with my part in this as well. And he gave them a clear direction. Verse 11 says this. So give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest that you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. So give it back. Let's take action. Let's not just talk about this. Let's not bring this up. Let's actually do something about it. We're not going to just use mere words. We're going to make this right. So give back the money so that our fellow Jews can buy back their sons and daughters from slavery. And remarkably, they responded, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. But he wasn't going to stop there. Yes, they responded, they they accepted it, but he wasn't going to stop there. He goes on, he says, then I summoned the priests. So he brought in the, the religious professionals. I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out of the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. So Nehemiah, what he did is he brought the priests in and kind of like he he had them put their hand on the Bible basically and said, I promise to do this, so help me God. I promise to never let this happen again. I promise not to take money from from God's people again. See, Nehemiah wasn't okay with just dealing with this one time. He wanted to change the whole system, the whole culture. He wanted to, in in our terms today, wanted to create a, a binding policy so that this would never happen again. Now, what's remarkable is he faced this head on, was open about the problems, went public with it, allowed himself being a uh, part of the, the, the problem and be exposed, took the hard action of making amends, made a covenant and contract with the people 
And you would think usually the fear of this is if we go through with all this and if we're open and honest about all this and if we confront evil at its core, that's going to hurt our ministries or our, our witness. But look at what actually happens. At the end of this text, it says this, and the whole assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Everyone said, amen. They said, we are following God's mission. In a way, our mission is the same mission as the Messiah. We're following what God says. And so now we can praise the Lord. We can't praise God when we hide things. So what do we learn from this? Let me just walk through these steps one more time and think about how we could apply this as a church, how it could be part of our culture also at Victory. And I pray that this message, this sermon, because I think this is a systemic problem across Christian churches across the world, I hope this message gets shared and people all over make this part of our churches, Christian churches culture. So remember, what did, what did Nehemiah do first? Nehemiah listened. When the outcry came out, Nehemiah listened. And I want to let you know, I will always listen. I will always listen to you. If you've been a victim, if you've been oppressed, if you've been abused, I will always listen. I will never, ever, ever shut you down. We got to listen. Step two, he went public. He didn't try to deal with this in-house. I continue always to, over the years, work with guys like Victor Veith or other professionals because as pastors, we don't know how to deal with a lot of these things when it comes especially legally. So always as churches, we always need to be in contact with professionals and be open and honest. Go public, be open and honest, not try to deal with things in-house. And then let's always own our own sin. Let's always own our own sin. Nehemiah owned his own sin and, and in risk of sounding crass, Diane Lamberg in her book, Suffering in the Heart of God, she's another professional in this area. She's a, a professional Christian counselor. She talks about sin as sewage. She says, you know, how sin is like sewage. And so, uh, you know, you, you don't want to get close to sin. Like you don't want to get close to that porta potty, you know, that stuff that's out there. You don't want to get close to it. We don't want to deal with the sin that's happening in our world or in our congregations. Like sewage, sin is always something we're always producing ourselves. So not only do we have to deal with it out there and, and lean into it and confront it out there, but we always need to constantly be confronting it in our own lives as individual Christians. It's always going to be a battle for every one of us to deal with it in our own lives. And then finally, be okay with, with having policies and oaths and promises to create the culture. We have a, a child protection policy here and, and we want to continue as churches, I think as Christian churches throughout the world, to continue to make promises and policies so that systematically we're always focused on the victim, always focused on the oppressed like Jesus is and was. Now, why do I think this is so important? Well, first of all, I didn't plan on preaching on this. I had a whole nother sermon written and, and I got to Nehemiah 5 and I said, this is just so clear here. What else am I going to say? This is what the text is saying. We have to preach through this. We have to confront this and talk about this. But on top of that, I think this is the litmus test for Christianity. 
Um, just because you have big budgets and big buildings and lots of bottoms in the seat doesn't mean you're automatically following the mission of Jesus. You might have a mission as a church, a mission as an institution, but unless you care about the victims and the oppressed and the poor, the marginalized, unless you listen to their outcries, I don't think you're really following Jesus' mission. Jesus said over and over again, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Jesus said over and over again, unless you welcome these little children in my name, you're not welcoming me. Jesus said over and over again, if you cause one of these little ones, one of these marginal ones to sin or to be harmed, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and drown in the heart of the sea. That's how serious Jesus is about this. So whenever we listen to children, listen to the victims, listen to the oppressed, whenever we hear their outcries and we stand up for them and confront evil at its core, even the evil in our hearts, we are following the mission of Jesus. Because who do we follow? The Jesus who was born in a poor household, didn't even have a home to stay in when he was born in a manger. Jesus who was stripped and beaten and tormented and hung up on a cross. Jesus who rose again to heal us, not just spiritually, but to resurrect us, heal us emotionally, physically, and to set the oppressed free at every level whatsoever. And so I just want to call us always to make sure our mission, if we're going to have a big vision, we're going to go forward no matter what, like this sermon series is saying, if we're going to go forward no matter what, let's always make sure we do it in a way that aligns not just with the institution, but with the heart of Jesus. This is the litmus test. Jesus, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And so let's always make sure our mission matches the mission of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your mission is about people. It's about setting people free. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would use your word and your sacrament and churches throughout the world to set people free. Give us the courage to confront all those who abuse and harm and control. Give us the the compassion to lift up the marginalized, to, to give voice to the voiceless, to to give a place for the, for the silenced. Lord God, also change our hearts. Forgive us all of our sins so that we could walk with you. Set us free so that we can be the people of God, giving glory to God. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.